Welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. This podcast delivers insights on medical device packaging from regulatory affairs, process management, as well as discussions on the latest in sterile device packaging technologies. Each episode, our host, Charlie Webb, speaks with global experts to bring the most relevant information to our esteemed listeners. As sterile packaging compliance becomes increasingly more challenging, it is vital to avoid information gaps that could risk your medical device packaging program. Avoid package failure risks and build your skill set from your colleagues' experience and from insights from sterile device packaging subject matter experts. You're listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio, Spot Radio. Hey, it's me again, Charlie Webb. Welcome back, medical device manufacturers and medical device packaging experts to another episode of Spot Radio. So how did you uh, fare during the COVID event? Man, those were some dark days. You know, we don't talk much about that. You don't hear many people on LinkedIn talking about their sort of emotional challenges during this event. But certainly we all had them. I mean, for me personally, those were some very dark days. But most of us were able to reconfigure this time as an opportunity. We literally made lemonade out of lemons. We learned new skills. Maybe we even re-drywalled the living room. We took the opportunity to make things not only work, but make things better in our life oftentimes. And that's a testament to the human spirit for sure. Well, I wanted to speak with peers, other peers, to hear how they fared, what was their personal story. So to do that, I grabbed Lindsay Ionelli. She's a Canada Connection Specialist for the ADEPT Group, where she connects the leading brands in life science, food, beverage, and the CPG industries to elite packaging talent to unlock opportunity and create solutions. Just the person I needed to have this conversation. She agreed to be on my show today, and I have her on the phone. She has a unique story to tell about her experience with COVID, and I'll let her tell that. Hey, Lindsay, thanks for joining me today. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Well, as we start this conversation about dispersed work and the work-at-home sort of phenomenon, I like your story that you talked about during the Engineers on Tap meeting that we all gathered for. And by the way, thanks for teaching me how to make a margarita. That was very helpful. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) You should be a bartender. That's life. Oh, is that right? (laughs) Well, you did a great job. Now I'm a raging alcoholic, thanks to you, but that was great stuff. (laughs) Hopefully not. Hopefully that's not the case. So you were thrown into the uh, dispersed thing in a very unusual way, in a very abrupt way. So tell me a little bit about how you just started there at Adept and how uh, things quickly changed for you. Of course, absolutely. So my first week at Adept was actually... The last week that they were in office prior to shutting down for COVID-19. So in general, ADEPT has been pretty virtual from the start. However, there is a headquarters office in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where I'm located along with a couple other associates. Um, So I began there on Monday with my teammates and had kind of like my orientation and some training. And by Thursday, That was the last day that anybody was in the office and we shut down for COVID-19. So the intent when I began was to be virtual a couple days a week. However, that changed pretty quickly and we ended up being virtual five days a week. Mm, Wow. So you were already up to speed with all of the video conferencing that was, of course, you're way younger than me. For us older people, (laughs) I think it was a bigger adjustment. We use telephones around here. But you were already uh, well-versed in Zoom meetings and so forth. And so that wasn't a challenge at all for you, I guess, huh? No, it was pretty easy to bridge that gap. So my role prior to coming to ADEPT was another inside sales role. So I was familiar with 
video conferencing tools and kind of managing my business virtually from that aspect. And my first week, they got me all set up with my Zoom account, my Microsoft Teams, and the intent was to be somewhat virtual anyway. So we had all those tools in place, allowing us to be successful moving forward, even though there wasn't true interaction at the actual office. So how did the, the sort of internal workflow work for you? I've talked to several companies. They all approach it sort of differently. Was management uh, calling weekly meetings, daily meetings? How did you set your itinerary? It's very different in the brick and mortar world where we sort of know where to go and what the flow looks like. And that physical movement of where we're supposed to be next sort of sends us cues on what's uh, going on. It gets a little bit more scrambled virtually. I know it was for me. Did you call in weekly meetings and then you sort of put together your itinerary and everybody goes from there? And how open was your ability to sort of drive your own workday? Great question. So what we did at the start of the pandemic is we definitely put more touch bases on the calendar as a company. So we were doing weekly meetings every Friday just to kind of touch base with everyone. That way, it gave us an opportunity to keep any conversations that would have been happening happening and passing in the office, give us that opportunity to have those chats on that Friday. And for the most part, we are the drivers of our workday. We are aware of our responsibilities and what needs to happen. And then we just have weekly touch points. I meet with my manager and my teammate every week just to kind of go over our responsibilities and what needs to happen. And from there, we branch off and manage our own workday and just make sure that we're getting our responsibilities taken care of. You know, this recent article that came out where employees were willing to take as much as a $30,000 decrease in pay just so they could stay home. Does the work at home sort of movement and everything feel better to you? I mean, is that something that you would want to continue moving forward with or do you need that back of the office sort of connection? For me, and I'm not sure if this is a millennial mentality, but I would (laughs) prefer to absolutely stay virtual for as long as I possibly could. I do agree that it is nice to see folks and have that human interaction in the office. But with my generation, I feel like we're so embedded in this virtual world Mm -hmm. that you almost feel like you have those connections virtually anyway. And I'm lucky enough to live close to the headquarters where our managing director is. My manager doesn't live too far from me. So we still have the opportunity to meet up once in a while, whether that be grabbing a happy hour or if we're doing an event where it's like team building or something like that, at least I live close to them. That once in a while, we can have that interaction and get that face-to-face time. But for the sake of the average workday, I truly value being able to be virtual and working from home. Although I own a laboratory that's 300 miles away from me, I've been a work-at-home person for 30 years. So it's very native to me, although I do a lot of travel. And I come from the handshake generation. So for me, it's very different. There is a generation sort of disconnect there, I think, between younger people and older people in terms of how they want to connect with other humanoids. And you know, brings me to my next question. Relationships with customers can be challenging depending on what they're comfortable with. I mean, we may be comfortable with the dispersed workflow, but it may not be the same sort of vision that our customers have. So how do you bridge the gap to make sure that you're connecting deep enough with those customers to they where they don't feel like it's an evanescent connection to them? I right. think a lot of them really need to push. And I guess a certain amount of this is going to matter whether or not you're a product or a device company for us, we sell machinery. It's very difficult for us to have that virtual connection only. Trade shows, of course, help to sort of putty in some of those uh, differences. But 
I think at the end of the day, for our customers anyway, they do expect to see us as three-dimensional beings now and again. How about on your side? Absolutely. So my role, it was pretty much virtual from the start of COVID. So I found it pretty easy to bridge that gap to have video conferencing meetings. And I'm just setting up that initial connection. I do understand what you're saying, like the challenge might lie between that actual client execution work. So from my end, we do do things like trade shows. There's the ability for us to be seen in person at those. But then for client projects, kind of left that flexibility up to the needs of the client. So if they prefer to have someone on site, although that was more of a challenge at the heat of COVID, now that things are opening up more so, we leave that open to their discretion. So if they prefer to see and have their engineers on site, that's something that we can absolutely accommodate. Or if they prefer maybe virtual and then a couple touch points in person, we kind of leave that up in the air to best suit the needs and wants of the folks that we're working with. So if there's the ability to do it virtual, that's great. But if they prefer to have an on-site engineer, we're able to accommodate that request as well. Okay. And I think that's pretty much what I'm hearing. I mean, we were part of dispatch and sort of uh, ready to deploy for a lot of medical devices during COVID. So our laboratory was essential. We were moving the whole time. I still remained working virtually, but there was a lot of times where I really needed to get into the lab and touch and feel things. There's obviously no replacement for that. I think one of the issues is that there's this sort of a darkness that obviously that sort of was a part of this whole event. And it caused a lot of, if nothing else, low grade sort of depression. And people who were, had a lot of great solid concrete mental health were still finding themselves tasked during this, when is this going to end, this sort of hopelessness. And I think it hurt the uh, this customer sort of perspective on sales pitches or, <laughs> or anything during that. I mean, we were all sort of jaded from this event. Finally, we're starting to see some light. How did you manage that sort of darkness and general just sort of down feeling that so many people talked about during the COVID event? So from a personal perspective, the ways that I kept my spirits up is something that we did a lot was housework around the house. And I know that sounds horrible, but we moved into a new house in March of 2019. So we had all pure white walls. So one thing that my fiance and I spent a lot of time on at the start of the pandemic when there was nothing else to do and it was kind of cold and dreary here in Pennsylvania for months on end Mm. is we did a lot of painting. So we painted nearly every room in the house and it was great because when else are you going to have the time to truly dedicate to getting painting done? And I mean, honestly, I was pretty impressed with our work. (laughs) Terrific. A lot of people are saying they picked up a lot of new domestic skills with my wife and I, we, and we have a 13 year old and we were all sort of captured here, but my son has always been homeschooled. I work with my wife, so we're always together. So on that front, nothing was new, but there was just that when you have a 13 year old, you're constantly worried about how are they seeing this event and the, and watching depression. And so on a personal level, it was, uh, it was challenging for sure, but we did the same thing. And if for work, they say action is the antidote to despair. And I think Mm -hmm. when you're able to push yourself into not only domestic projects, but also business projects or learn a skill. In fact, did you pick up any new business skills during this whole process? I know I picked up a few. We were so familiar with remote tools that there wasn't much 
that I learned new from that perspective. But my role has changed since the start. When I began with Adept, I was more so just a sales representative and trying to make connections with clients. And now I'm moving into a new role where I'm considered a candidate connection specialist. So I'm bridging the gap between packaging professionals looking for new opportunities and the organizations who are in need of packaging professionals to manage their and work on their projects. So there was some change in my role, but it wasn't heavily dependent on COVID itself rather than just the timing of my professional development. I added more projects. I'm not so sure. I guess I did fine tune the video stuff a little bit more as you're, (laughs) you're sort of forced into it. More than that, I just pushed into distraction is a a terrific way to manage sort of despair and that feeling of hopelessness that a lot of us had in those dark days. Luckily, I'm here in California in Santa Barbara County where the sun shined and I'm on an acre and a half of property and I got a swimming pool. So it didn't feel like I was in a 400 square foot flat in New York. That helped a great deal for me because I'm an outside person and I was able to run every day with my wife and it sort of kept the gears in order there for a while, but it certainly was a a challenge at times. But I added new things to our our company as we moved along. And and again, I think distraction was an important piece, but it did also affect our customers because you have to remember if you're being affected by this event, obviously it's a human thing and everything's going to change from how you market to your customers and timing and inventory, it it became this just complicated three-dimensional problem that we had to manage to understand, are our customers working? How many medical device manufacturers are still making their products? I mean, most were, but some of them more what you might consider a non-essential medical devices. The clean rooms went dark. And so we had to understand who we were talking to. We had to kind of fine-tune our marketing effort, also retool our lab even to do uh, new things, quick validation support for our customers. So definitely a challenge, but so what are the uh, the sort of takeaways that you got from this? I mean, you're going to change your workflow. I mean, now I guess we all realize that we have to expect the unexpected and we have to be more prepared on any sort of a paradigm that may be lurking in the bushes. And so how do you kind of keep a watch for what's next personally and with your company? Great question. So I think just staying in tune with any news that's coming through. I I remember at the start of COVID, maybe November before everything started kind of amplifying, I remember hearing of COVID and it was kind of nothing intimidating to me. I wasn't really super concerned with it at that point. And I remember coworkers at my previous employer almost joking around about oh, this isn't going to come to us and almost treating it like it without the validity and the weight of what truly was to come. So I think perhaps taking a step back and listening and really understanding the magnitude of what could come from what you hear in the news and just making sure that you prepare yourself for what could come. As far as professionally, I think just to continue to work on my professional development to ensure that I am best set up to handle anything that may come my way. And like I said, with COVID, I feel like I was in a pretty good place to ensure that I was able to work virtually and manage anything that comes through that pipeline. But it would be crucial to just continue to watch for any changes and kind of anticipate what those changes might mean to me and in turn, take a look at all of my clients and customers or packaging professionals that I might be working with 
and understanding how those changes will impact them and how I can best really make sure that I'm catering to their needs as well. You know, in the staffing part, we, uh, on our last episode, we spoke with Tom Widrow. He's a, a specialist in placing restaffing companies post COVID. You know, it's becoming challenging. There's a lot of people who've chose to sort of drag their feet a little bit to get back to the workplace and sort of the, the sort of entry level positions. But even on the middle management side, the sort of higher level engineers and so forth, we see that they're looking at what is the whole aggregate gig look like? It's no longer what is economic compensation. It's now how much free time do I have? What does my workflow look like? What is the environment that I'm going to work look like? So I think people in disposition are now looking at placement a lot different because the engineers that are going into medical device manufacturing and medical device packaging, they're all asking deeper questions these days. Has that hit your front? Have you noticed that dialogue change a little bit in terms of aggregate compensation for engineers? Yeah, absolutely. And we did notice that a lot of folks are more interested in a position when it has the ability to be remote. So I think that you're absolutely right, hitting the nail on the head there, that it kind of is opening people's eyes to what else to consider when taking a position. We also noticed a huge boom in the need for packaging engineers as well. So the market is as hot as the real estate market for packaging talent. So it's kind of interesting the way that the pandemic has shaped where we are today. Yeah, I see several polls on LinkedIn. I posed a poll regarding industrial trade shows. And I've been doing the MD&M for 30 years. I've been showing there's an exhibitor for 25. Yes, I'm that old. And for me, that handshake and the connection, I mean, I've known these people for generations. I've seen their kids grow up and become the president of the company. So I've been there. Those are very important places that we gather to not just do commerce, but also to build those lasting relationships. Again, some of my, you go through LinkedIn and it looks like a family album for me. I know so many of these people for a quarter of a century. So I, I think that connection can't be replaced virtually. So we do need to get into trade shows and start having the sort of face-to-face interconnection with other humans. Is your plan to move forward this year with that effort? I know we're sort of dragging our feet a little bit until fall just because we're trying to understand how many companies are going to release their management core into trade shows. Some of these trade shows have had sort of waning attendance anyway. We have more interest now because once they're taken away from us, suddenly they become more interesting. But I I think we're going to get back there. We're, We're going to need to meet with people. And in my business, you have to touch and feel. How do you virtually sell a complicated piece of packaging equipment? It's very difficult to do that. They need to look under the hood. They need to see their device package. And so there's so many ways that we need that connection in order to really tell our stories effectively. And you can only do it so well. So does it look like your company is going to start rolling back into that trade show mode this year? Or you like a lot of companies holding off for 2022? So they are beginning to start to plan for trade shows for this year. I know that they are going to Pack Expo in Las Vegas. I think that might be like August or so. So it is towards the fall, but the plans are in motion and they are opening our team up for travel. So that's definitely something that we're looking at in 2021. Okay. Yeah, we're I think it's October. We'll we're gonna be there. We're, we're right. still a little bit unsure. We have the MDNM West in, in August and I'm still trying to get a good sort of capture survey of our customers to find out if anyone's there, gonna be there to greet. And of course, you you can't find out 
too much datum from the trade show, uh, people that hold the trade show, because it's like asking a barber if you need a haircut. You know? They, they <laughs> right. probably are going to tell you, yeah, we, it's going to be the biggest show ever. So we're kind of holding off to see where that goes. We do love that show. We've been doing it. I, I, we haven't missed a show in, in 25 years, and it's always a great way to connect. And I think a lot of people measure those the wrong way. They come back with a stack of leads from the show, and they say, gosh, you know, we just didn't get many leads this year. One thing I've learned about trade shows from my long tenure here on earth is that you have to measure those in a different sort of measuring stick. You measure how many relationships, you how many people did you see and, and sort of reconnect. It, it's really, it's kind of like somebody described it once as going to a funeral. You, everybody, no one remembers who showed up, but you remember the people who didn't show up. So you're uh-huh. sort of expected to be there. If you're not there, the question is, are you still in the in the game? And so I think we do need to be there, but we need, we need to do it responsibly. I think I work with a few clients that are in the trade show business and they're rolling out in full force in a few states right now with really little or no problems at all. So I think we're we're finally getting there and I hope to see those things open up soon. How important to your effort in sales and marketing are these shows? They're absolutely important. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of making those connections. It's a great way to meet people and just make those connections, whether or not they have an urgent need that you would call them a lead and that you're pursuing opportunity with them immediately. It's that opportunity to meet people for the future, whether that be at their current role, if they need support down the line, even in five years, or if they end up moving roles and then they need packaging support for that new opportunity that they landed in a couple of years. For me, it's crucial because I get to meet folks. And like I mentioned, my role is more so that connection specialist where I am working with both folks who may be looking for a new opportunity or a business who needs those folks who are looking for new opportunities. So I think it's really crucial for me to make those connections at those shows and really get to meet people in person. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. You guys did a cool thing this year and thank you for inviting me. That was a lot of fun. The engineers on tap. Tell me a little bit about that. I think that was so much fun. It was great to, I did terrible on the quiz that you guys provided, <laughs> but it was, the, the category was movies. So I was sunk in the very beginning, but that right. was a really fun a little event. You guys uh, sent out little wine crafts and glasses and it was just awesome. Tell me a little bit about that program. Absolutely. So we were looking for a way to continue making connections virtually in the lack of different trade shows and in-person events that we were experiencing. We wanted to be able to continue to connect with our network and really make sure that we were remaining connected throughout this time where we're not able to meet with people in person. So we tried to brainstorm on what would be a fun way to connect. So we came up with this Engineers on Tap as an opportunity to connect with our network in a fun way that isn't always about necessarily just packaging itself. Although packaging can be fun, we wanted to make it more about the connection and connecting with the people rather than just talking packaging. Mm -hmm. So we did this engineers on tap as a way to connect and chat and play some trivia, grab a bite to eat. We sent out those gift cards so that you could either make your margarita with me or you could grab some dinner if you didn't want to partake in the margarita. So we just wanted to have a fun way to connect with our network. Yeah, and was, thank you so much for joining us. No, that was you cool. You were a blast. <laughs> no, that was so fun. I, I love this. So hopefully you're going to invite me to the next one. Of course. Absolutely. I, I made sure not to drink so I would get invited back to the next one. Just <laughs> so you know. That's great. 
Man, what a way to start a new gig. You're there for a week and you get thrown right into the COVID storm. Gosh, it's interesting to hear how all of us sort of fared through this to get sort of an epilogue at the end of this. Uh, see what we learn, what we gain from it. Well, Lindsay, thanks again for joining me today. I really enjoyed our discussion. Thanks for having me. If you want to get a hold of anyone over there at Adept Packaging, just go over to their website, adeptpackaging.com. Or if you're trying to track down Lindsay, you can get her contact information in today's podcast description. Well, thank you, medical device manufacturing engineers, medical device packaging engineers, for joining me once again on another episode of Sterile Packaging on Track, Spot Radio. This is Charlie Webb. Look forward to chatting with you again. This podcast is made possible by Vanderstahl Scientific. Executive producer, Lisa Wasper. Director of Media Service, Hector Garcia. Audio engineering and editing by Joel and our friends at East Coast Studios. And this is Jonathan Lockwood saying thanks for your support, medical device manufacturers. See you next time on Spot Radio. Spot Radio.